Hey, it's Pastor Jeffrey. I'm uh, the guy behind Plain Spoken. Hopefully this is not your first time watching. If if it is, or listening on a podcast, then um, the purpose of what I do here is to try and spread helpful information for the sake of understanding within the Methodist movement. I'm a conservative. When I started this, I was a local licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church. Since then, my churches have disaffiliated, as have I, and I'm now uh, an ordained elder in the Global Methodist Church. I serve in a rural context in northeastern Oklahoma, and um, my producer TJ and I have set up this recording studio in order to try and minister to the broader context. Uh, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and so when you speak truth, you are participating in Christ's nature. Um, we also believe that that faith seeks understanding, and um, the picture within the United Methodist Church and the uh, Methodism more broadly is just confusing and convoluted, and it's really hard to navigate these things. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did a, a letters from our, what was this called, letters from our viewers segment, and it got a lot of good response. I think a lot of people want to know uh, what's going on and how others are receiving it. You're usually dealing with my voice and my way of seeing things, but um, one of the realities is this is a very personal thing that impacts millions of people around the world, millions of people even in our own uh, country, many of whom fell away uh, more than a decade ago, but who still love the United Methodist Church and wish that things had gone differently. Um, I did not start this thing um, asking people to mail me, but it's just something that so many people care about that I've gotten a lot of unsolicited mail, and at first that was kind of, uh, it felt odd. I haven't had this happen before, but then I've had to come to understand, uh, hey, I shouldn't talk about personal things if I don't want to hear from people personally. And so um, before I get into a, a few more letters, I, I wanted to cover three today. I just wanted to thank everybody for being gracious with me. I've done some decent um, reports on annual conferences and what's going on in different parts of the connection, and I haven't gotten to do that recently. Um, I have been talking to people and percolating around uh, an Alabama-West Florida report, um, and I've got pretty much everything I need. I'm just not quite ready for it. So, um, And then I've, I've got a number of interviews. I've already done two, one with Jeff Pospisil, one with David DeSilva, and I hope to release the Pospisil one this week. Um, I'm going to wait on Dr. De Silva to get back and, and to prove it. He's in, in Israel right now. Um, and then tomorrow I'm having uh, Bishop Scott Jones of the Global Methodist Church come into the studio and interview. It's kind of a big deal. He's going to have lunch with me and my wife, and I, I'm hoping to have his wife sitting here at the table with me, have, have a good conversation, get a sense for his heart, what he's thinking uh, about the Global Methodist Church. So we'll, we'll hopefully post that this week. And um, I don't know if you watch a lot of interviews generally, but I've looked at a lot of interview um, channels on, on YouTube, and uh, the level of engagement that y'all give the interviews that I do, I, I just really appreciate. There are a lot of people that just, they there are a lot of amazing people that have been interviewed on different channels and hardly any views, so I, I just am blown away by the level of engagement and, and support that y'all have uh, given plain spoken, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to disappoint, but I really hope I don't. I, I want to to be spreading information. I get more information every day. People are emailing me all the time with information on what's going on in different conferences, and it's just hard to hold on to it because uh, I'm just not a very smart person or I don't have that kind of brain. So 
Anyway, let's let's march through uh, a couple different things that I got in the mail. If you do want to mail me things, snail mail, uh, you can t send it to P.O. Box 126. Or is it 129? You know what? Just send it to 109 West Shawnee Street in Nowata, Oklahoma. I should know these things, shouldn't I? Yeah, um, 109 West Shawnee Street. Hopefully the, the, the post office doesn't get mad at you for not using my P.O. box. Uh, this first one was just a, uh, a little postcard, and all it says is, Jeff, you did it! Exclamation mark. Thanks. On behalf of a retired clergy in another conference uh, dated May of 2023, and of course that's in reference to my ordination uh, that took place a couple weeks ago now in uh, Bethany, Oklahoma. If you haven't seen that, uh, a, a big photo dump just came out, and it was, a, it was a beautiful time. And, of course, TJ, the show's producer, was the photographer. He does excellent work. So, um, anyway, thank you for – he's not the only one. A number of people have congratulated me on my ordination, and um, it, it feels nice. If you haven't read it yet, um, I have a sub stack in which I detailed – the particulars of my 12-year journey through the ordination process, and uh, let's see, what's the what's the address there? I'm at jeffreyrickman.substack.com, all one word, and I have 101 subscribers. That is crazy. Um, anyway, so uh, let's see. Let's get into another one. This is from a, a very kind woman named Sherry Jackson, and she said that she could uh, that I could share this. Um, I'm going to try. Well, there, there aren't many names in this one. Just so you know, if, if you email me or, or write me stuff, I'm not going to use anything without your permission. Um, but, you know, go ahead and let me know. If it is okay for me to use, just say that somewhere in the text. Or if you really don't want me to use it, just say up front, this is confidential. Uh, I haven't had a problem honoring people's wishes so far. So anyway, this is dated uh, the end of last month. She says, I've been enjoying plain spoken. Over the past few years, I have been reading a lot about the split within the United Methodist Church and listening to other ministers as they give their perspective. I have found that the progressive pastors are more vindictive and are not always telling the truth as to why the split is going on. Um, just a, a quick timeout. I, I, I understand that there are conservatives who behave badly, but I'm one of these that actually believes more bad behavior is on one side of this. And so... Um, I'm not. I'm sure. I'm sure she wouldn't say that everybody's been perfect on the conservative side, but there there has been a differential in in behavior as as I've seen it. Although uh, I listen to a lot of liberals, and they're quite certain that the differential is is balanced differently. Um, I watched the 2019 General Conference live while I was working, and the animosity that was shown was disheartening. I had been praying for the conference and for members to work together, but. I had hoped that the one church plan would not pass. When the traditional plan was accepted by a slim majority, it was evident that this was not over. Even though everyone said that the decision would be made final, of course the progressives blamed votes from Africa delegations as being what passed the traditional plan. Um, I've intentionally put this show together so that liberals, progressives listen and understand how conservatives think through things. You've got to understand what happened in 2019 was just a, a huge lodestone. Um, it, it was a big uh, signifier to conservatives that we were not acting in good faith with good far, uh, faith partners. Um, she talks about it a little bit more. 
And within a week, I heard of different ministers inviting progressive leaders to partake in closed meetings to make changes. I remember one person getting up during general conference. I don't remember now if he was clergy or a lay person, but he was asking that all people who were going to vote for the traditional plan listen to the voice of God and vote for the one church plan. I sent a letter to our Bishop McKee of North Texas conference a few months after our annual conference this past year. I asked him if anyone had even considered the fact that traditional plan was pass passing was God's plan, and I did not get a response. Of course, you know, bishops get emails all the time, and uh, some are more invitational than others, but even so, it does seem to be the case that... Um, okay, so when coming to the biblical text... There are two interpretive lenses generally. There's exegesis, where the text has a meaning all to itself, and your role as a reader is to get the meaning out of it, to understand what it says. Then there's eisegesis, which is I bring my own values, interpretations to the reading, and then I come to the reading to get out of it what I want to see. And obviously exegesis is the right way to come to the biblical text. But similarly, whenever you're coming to relationships with other people, we have a way of projecting ourselves onto others and not letting them speak to us for who they are, or rather not listening to them as they tell us who they are. And likewise, in a life of, of, of walking with the Lord, there are a lot of people for whom it's just a foregone conclusion that God could ever say or do or believe or require something that goes against their conscience. There has to be an openness on the part of people as they engage in collaborative conciliar work in, in the general conference or annual conference to be open to the possibility that God does not do things in the way that you would like. In fact, it's a, it's a high probability that God is going to do things in ways that you personally think are unjust or wrong. Because, see, the thing is God is God and you're not God. And so in 2019, it was a group discernment to discern, you know, to decide the way forward for the denomination. And, and that decision was made. And then there were people who in the moment and, and especially later just said, nope, wrong decision. You didn't stand with God. And it was just a foregone conclusion that God meant what he said as he revealed the word to those ancient authors. I believe that there are still churches in our conference that are not aware of what's going on, and I believe that ministers have been told to give out as little information as possible because I've heard numerous of them say nothing is going to change, and that is an out-and-out -out lie. I'm not sure how intentional a lie it is, uh, so people, people project themselves onto others. People also live in denial. And, um, you know, if you'd asked people 10 years ago, if they thought the world we're living in today was possible, they would say no. You know, there's just been so much rapid change, they could not imagine it. But for some reason, they don't get humility from that. They still think that they stand in a position of knowledge as they say, X can't happen or Y can't happen. If you've been paying attention for a few decades, you should just know that anything's possible. And in fact, the deck is being stacked in a certain direction where not, not only are things possible, but likely. So it's likely that the denomination stance on sexual ethics is going to change. It's likely that the stance on abortion is going to change. It's likely that um, things are going to continue to go in a certain direction with respect to how we talk about sin or how we seek for holiness. You know, these things are all going in a certain direction, and to say that things are not going to go any further is just silly. It's silly at this point. Whether or not it's an intentional lie, it's silly. Um, and of course, she's highlighting something that I've remarked on a lot, that, that conferences are uh, United Methodist leadership is intentionally keeping people in the dark. 
there is a stereotype that laity don't want to know what's going on and shouldn't be bothered with it, and I think that that's a lie. I, I think that laity all the way along have wanted to know what's going on, and as they have found out what is going on, they have generally left because what's going on is unconscionable. It's, it's obviously flatly on its face wrong. It has been a takeover at the top of people who generally don't care what the Word of God says. At annual conference this year, I'm getting back into the, the letter if, uh, if you're only listening to this. At annual conference this year, the Board of Ordained Ministries asked for clarification as to whether they could accept applicants from the LGBTQ since the North Texas Conference had voted in 2019 to support the One Church Plan. I knew that delegates had been elected to conference, but I think the vote was taken within the group and not taken during conference. I could be wrong on this because I wasn't watching a lot of what was going on in the 2018 conference. I think what she's saying is that the delegation was decided outside of annual conference, and I don't think that's possible. Needless to say, they were going to accept anyone as a pastoral candidate, and I heard later that a gay person was ordained. I can't give you a name or a verification of this either. Um, for listeners or people watching, I've started on a uh, spreadsheet listing the names of openly gay clergy who are serving um, throughout the connection. And if you do know names of people that are openly gay and serving, uh, please email me or send me a message some other way so I can uh, add to my spreadsheet. I did get a letter from the new bishop earlier in the month letting me know that my church had disaffiliated and that I was no longer a United Methodist member and gave me several addresses of meetings that I could attend to get back into the fold if I chose. The last few years have been very troubling for me. I have felt that if I stayed in the UMC, I would be condoning the new changes that will be made, and I did not want to be part of that. Our church has always been welcoming to everyone, but we did believe as the discipline read that homosexuality was contrary to God's will. For me, it has been more about the ministers who have taken oaths and then broken those oaths, and the conferences who would not hold ministers accountable, and for people not following the discipline. If you didn't see it, I, I put out a, a, a bitter medicine episode dealing with um, ordinands lying uh, in order to become clergy, which of course I think is real and a huge problem, and I would agree with Sherry in that. I'm tired of all the excuses, she says. I was appalled at the Duke University student who was welcoming the queer one to their chapel services. Adam Hamilton talked about how they still believe the doctrine of the United Methodist Church, and then before he was through with this speech, paid said, of course, many ministers now realize that not all of the scriptures pertain to today. Well, pick and choose, she says. Um, if you haven't seen that footage from Duke University, that was in the Duke Chapel, paid for by your apportionment dollars where they worship the queer one. They also worship the queer god in Oklahoma City at, at OCU, um, uh, where they, they, <laughs> they put up a service where they worship the queer god, they, they call them. Um, or I don't know how their God self-identifies um, gender-wise. But uh, anyway, they took it down for a bit when there was a pushback, and then they put it back up, and none of the clergy responsible for it were ever uh, corrected, at least not publicly. I took three of the disciple Bible studies, and the one thing I remember most of all was that it pertains to us, was that it all pertains to us, partly because we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. That's how to read the Bible. It's all about us and all about God. Uh, one pastor, Sherry says, said that if Leviticus was used to say that homosexuality was not accepted for them to counter 
with the scriptures from 1 Corinthians, which talked about having eunuchs. I don't believe a homosexual person and a eunuch are the same thing, but that was her take on scripture. Yeah, that just sounds crazy. I also heard recently one minister say that the Bible is against homosexuality, but it doesn't mention partnerships made in love. So their take was that marriage was okay, but because God believed in love. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of gay people had sex for thousands of years and never fell in love because sex and love are not at all uh, connected. It's just a, it's a ridiculous pre... We invented something that no one ever did before. I mean, it, it, it betrays this ethnocentric uh, uh, worship of the new. We just think we're so new and unique. Yeah, it's just wonderful when you get a whole culture that doesn't read any history. They think that they've just... <laughs> They've, they're the bee's knees. They've invented everything. It's just the most uh, narcissistic uh, position to take. Uh, no, the ancient world knew of loving relationships between people of the same sex. This is we, we didn't invent anything new. I've heard numerous podcasts from the Pickland pastor, the senior pastor at Lover's Lane UMC, and he has been highly critical of B Bishop Scott Jones and his son, who is now a pastor at St. Andrew's Methodist, and he continually talks about misinformation. Yeah, he's he's on uh, YouTube as well, and um, yeah, he 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 gets pretty like mean spirited. I've noticed this guy. Yeah, he he yeah. I have attended evangelism workshops that Bishop Jones conducted before he became a bishop, and I listened to several numerous speeches that he made at churches throughout his conference. He has been very kind in his speech regarding the United Methodist Church, and he has not been giving out false information as many as have said he has. Plus, I never heard him say. I'm leaving, follow me. Now, he did posture himself as being dissatisfied with the UMC. He, along with, I want to say, four or five other bishops, signed a document a few years ago saying that when there's a split, they want to go with the conservative evangelical branch. But even so, his rhetoric, while not being pleased with the UMC, has been pretty fair. Uh, I haven't found anything that should be objectionable. I think the only thing they found objectionable is he wanted to go, and he, he took his time, and when he went, it it was a big deal. You know, I did a few, uh, I did two, I did one video um, uh, uh, saying that I thought he was going to leave, and then once he did leave, uh, I did another video just saying, uh, I told you so. <clears throat> anyway, I shouldn't enjoy saying I told you so as much as I do. I know, I know. I'm going to keep working on myself. All right, um, Sherry continues, our church members asked why they had to leave if the progressives were wanting change, and I heard that I heard at a podcast by a progressive minister that it was considered, but they realized they wouldn't have the funds necessary to make the change. This has all been about money. I don't disagree with you, Sherry. I truly believe that there have been way more disaffiliations than anyone ever expected to occur, and after a couple of years of the conferences operating on the money congregations have paid to leave the UMC, they're going to have big problems. I would be interested in someone doing a financial breakdown of this. I do think it is true that the number of churches running for the door is much larger than anyone anticipated, and I think that's partly what's driving the anger of the United Methodist Church right now. They are just very surprised. They were in denial. They thought everything was basically okay, that everybody was basically happy. Now to see how how many unhappy people in churches there are and how faithless we think they are, they can either self-reflect or they can hate those who are rejecting them. And generally, they're, they're, they're hating those who reject them. Um, and yeah, it looks like they are going to have a huge financial shortfall here in just a couple years. My grandfather was a local pastor in the, in the Methodist Church. 
my mother has said that I was born Methodist, and I, I feel like that. Over the years, I've read a lot about John Wesley and the Methodist movement, and it is one that I feel is me. I recently read Donald Haynes' two-book history of the United Methodist Church. It goes through the 2019 General Conference. The books are very informational. I don't, I don't know anything about that series, so if you've read it, let me know what you think about it in the comments. I'm interested. My church has decided to remain independent, and I do not think that is a wise move. Once the pastor, who they have at this time, retires, I think they will have trouble finding someone else to fill the pulpit. And I don't have much faith in the leadership that is left at the church. Fifteen years ago, we had around 125 in worship. Today, it's close to 30, 45. She's talking about this is where a lot of you are going to intersect. You know, a lot of churches disaffiliate, and they want to stay independent for a time. And that's theologically problematic for a number of reasons. The main one for me being that the New Testament becomes kind of ununderstandable, not understandable whenever you're looking at them writing individual churches that aren't connected to other churches. It's so clear that we're supposed to be networked together with authority, with money, with structure. Um, so I think she's right to have a problem with that. And then I think churches need to be humble and understand the long view. It's not easy to find a pastor. It's not easy to find a quality pastor. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of reasons to affiliate with the denomination, one of them being, hey, when your pastor needs to move on, who's going to network you with quality leaders? Back to Sherry. I find that I feel like a fish out of water. I believe that I am a Wesleyan Methodist, and right now I'm not attending my church. That's really sad, isn't it? You know, how many people have been lost over the years because of what happened in the United Methodist Church? And to a degree, yeah, you have to say, you know, you come to church not because of the quality of the church, but the quality of your Savior. Uh, but even so, uh, churches so damage people. The United Methodist Church has, has damaged millions who have fallen away over the years. Um, this, this denomination started huge, and it's been in decline ever since because of the dissatisfaction of people who have read their Bibles and just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And we continue to hemorrhage those, even when their, their churches are not disaffiliating. They're just leaving uh, because they can't stand to be in dysfunctional uh, congregational or denominational uh, crap anymore. She closes the letter out, I wish you the best in your ministry and hope that you will remain plain spoken. I have had numerous sleep, sleep, sleepless nights but feel that I'm making the right choice for me. God bless uh, Sherry Jackson, and she gave me permission to use this. So Sherry, thank you so much for sharing yourself with me and with the Plain Spoken audience. Um, uh, if you have comments from Sherry, just write them down on, at the bottom here. She's, she's an avid uh, listener. So um, I wanted to look at one more letter, and uh, this one, he, he wanted me to protect his name, but I'll, I'll show the text here. Um, it's... Uh, a letter from South Carolina. Brother Jeffrey, greetings to you from here in South Carolina. I've watched quite a few of your videos in recent months. I'm very interested in the sea change taking place in the United Methodist Church. I belong to a church which descends from the Wesleyan Methodist schism, which took place prior to the war between the states. I've been in contact with a retired UMC pastor here in South Carolina, and I blocked out his name who is now affiliated with the GMC. He has given me some understanding of the situation in this state in reference to disaffiliation, etc. I live in the Greenville area of the beautiful South Carolina upstate, 
one of the interesting things to me is that the old downtown wealthy influential United Methodist congregation has voted to disaffiliate. That happened when virtually no churches in South Carolina had moved in that direction. I've lived here for 45 years and never considered that congregation conservative in any obvious sense. So I assumed that there must be other issues promoting their withdrawal from the denomination. I know that the idea of same-sex marriage is somewhat over the top for even the average person in such a congregation, but it is hard for me to believe that many who are opposed to that are also thoroughly orthodox in their understanding of the faith. It seems that in many cases the apportionment issue is a major one. That could well be the issue in this particular case. So if I had to put this in my own words, what he's saying is he's noticing that at least one big influential church has left, and they probably didn't have a big problem with the theology of the United Methodist Church. He'd be surprised if they had like a biblically oriented congregational view and were standing against the culture of the world. Rather, he's wondering if there are other factors that have caused some churches to, to run for the exit. Of course, in Oklahoma, uh, St. Luke's was the largest uh, church in our conference uh, up till this year. Uh, well, Asbury left first, and they were conservative, but St. Luke's was not conservative. They aligned just fine with what is uh, going to be the reigning or orthodoxy of, of the United Methodist Church. But they ran for the doors because they're very concerned about the administrative practices of the denomination. Uh, Dr. Bob Long, their pastor, did a series of presentations where he outlined all the different signs showing that the United Methodist Church is just dysfunctional. Even if you get away from the theology, they're just a badly run operation. And so he's wondering what the odds are, the author of this letter, he's, he's wondering what the odds are that this was a theological reason or if it's more practical, like we just don't want to pay apportionments anymore or something like that. Um, so the retired clergy said this in an email to me, quote, over the past few years, I visited multiple United Methodist churches in every district. My impression is that most, even many who self-identify as evangelical, traditional, or conservative, have been slowly converted to a syncretic, I don't know if it's syncretic or syncretistic. I don't know if, uh, either way, I can tell you what it means if you don't know it in a minute. Christian faith without even noticing it. They may believe they are conservative because they vote Republican, but their understanding of the cross, salvation, authority of Scripture, and the mission of the church lay far outside of evangelical Christianity. So that's really an insightful quote. Um, we find ourselves at this point in a culture war that's been raging since at least the 1960s, where uh, there are leftists who openly stand against the structures and fidelities of the past and want to create a new world order that uh, fits with neo-Marxist um, values, whether or not they themselves identify as neo-Marxist. And what he's saying is that the United Methodist Church has so compromised the faith of all believers under their, their umbrella that even ones that self-identify as conservative really have, have had their faith damaged in a very... Um, profound way. So the, the key word he used there was syncretistic or syncretic. The notion of syncretism is that you put multiple faiths all together and you pretend that they are the same faith. And so the United Methodist Church has been practicing syncretism for a while, uh, inviting left, uh, extreme left thinking around social justice to be uh, syncretized with um, a, a, con a conservative biblical outlook 
that um, is, is much more informed by God's justice than worldly social justice. Um, this, this overlaps or dovetails with um, some, some good study coming out of Arizona State University on biblical worldview. I've noticed articles uh, trickling out every six months or so with respect to these studies as they have tracked that the number, the pr proportion of uh, Americans with a biblical view is now down to like four or six percent after COVID. It's been dropping precipitously. Um, people don't realize that the Bible has a particular worldview, that Christians are called to, to see the world through a certain lens that is not informed by modern notions, um, uh, modernism or postmodernity, postmodernism, uh, scientism, safetyism. There are a number of uh, different isms that, that have made bids, successful bids, for how it is that we navigate the world, and we have a jealous God who doesn't share. And so um, what this retired clergy is naming is that there are many other... Well, if you've read uh, Kenda Creasy-Dean, she's talked about moralistic therapeutic deism invading the church as a hostile ideology and taking over. That's what's essentially happened in a number... Well, almost all United Methodist churches. It's very rare to find one that's held the line and said... The Bible is our only standard of truth. Um, and so even those churches that have the good sense to leave, it is wrong to assume that they know what's in the Bible, that they have a good doctrinal foundation. They're leaving for different reasons. And so one of the things that I'm worried about is that the global Methodist church has arms wide open for all of these churches to come in, but if they have not been doctrinally established, then they are carrying the Trojan horse of, of liberal progressivism again, and you're going to see the same thing repeated 10, 15, 20 years out. So hopefully they're able to exercise better discipline in the United Methodist Church. But what this retired clergy names here is something we should all be very concerned about. And I wanted to issue an invitation to you. Now is the time as an individual and as a local church for you to learn our doctrinal heritage. To read, If you haven't read your Bible, shame on you. You should know what's in the Bible. You should be able to navigate the Bible. That should be your book. I don't know what you think is more important. Stop pick up your Bible, read what's in it. Then read the articles of religion, read the creeds, read our doctrinal heritage. The, the transitional book of doctrines and disciplines has a great number of doctrinal um, uh, resources right in the beginning. John Wesley's sermons are all online for free. You need to figure this stuff out. You need to own your faith so that you and your church will not get compromised again by worldly ideologies coming in and taking advantage of the fact that people just trust your denomination, and trust that it's going to go the right way, don't trust anymore. You need to do the homework and the hard work yourself, because even if you're part of the right institution, there, when you get to the pearly gates, you know, when you come before God's judgment seat, he's not going to say, oh, I saw that you were on the rolls of the United Methodist Church, or you were a member of the Global Methodist Church. So come right in. That's not how this works. Your salvation or your damnation is on your shoulders Take the initiative, learn what's in the Bible, learn your doctrine uh, so that you're not, you're not going through this again. You know, just because just you make it through this particular crisis does not mean you're going to make it through the next one well. So establish yourself in the faith. Um, wrapping up this email, um, that seems an awfully sad description of the situation as it exists in this conference of the UMC. I hope it isn't quite as bad as he describes. I questioned him as to why... There had been almost no disaffiliations in South Carolina, and this was several months ago. He indicated that there had been 
serious lack of organization and leadership here. The situation just to our south in Georgia and north, North Carolina, is so different with hundreds of local churches having left or in process of doing so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to double check on this because I, I don't recall looking at South Carolina in my forum here. And I've got, I got people actually helping me on this spreadsheet, um, putting together information on the different um, annual conferences. And I, I'm just so appreciative to those of you who are helping me especially with the financial stuff. Okay, yeah, according to the, the most recent information that I've got, South Carolina has one disaffiliation since uh, 2022 that was in. So I, uh, let's see, do they have it? They don't even have a special, do they have it? They don't have a special conference scheduled. What is going on in South Carolina? I should have looked at this before I read the email. What on earth is going on in South Carolina? You mean to tell me, that, that is crazy. All right, well, maybe my record's here wrong. It shows that they had 972 churches there at the close of 2021. What is going on, guys? South Carolina people, right here, <laughs> explain to me what's going on. It seems like you're all about to get trapped. Were you just waiting on leadership to take you out? All right, closing out this email. Forgive my many words. I just really wanted to let you know that I appreciate your stand and spirit. I enjoyed the Bitter Medicine episode today. He's talking about the one out yesterday. Parts of it were convicting to me. Well, good. That's what I want to do. It sounds like you would make a good disciple of John Fletcher. Blessings to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you for your blessings. I'm getting emails pretty much every day um, and sometimes letters in the mail. It's, it's just clear to me that, um, that this is real and, and that this is something that a lot of people care about. Um, if you know of anybody who's really struggling right now or just would benefit from understanding what's going on or thinking through stuff, go ahead and share this with them. I, I understand I'm kind of an idiot in some ways, and, and I, I can't cover the ground that's really needed for a comprehensive treatment in the moment. Um, but I, I appreciate all the love and support and prayers. And of course, I have a full-time job here with two churches, and, and they're being very gracious and and sharing me in this way. Um, I've had a number of people convey uh, a desire to pay me um, I make a good salary uh, at the churches here. I don't need money, and I'm not looking uh, to get rich. Um, however, I do think I'm going to set up something on either Locals or uh, PayPal or something because uh, uh, our producer, TJ, is also paid by the church, and I think um, it would be great if it were self-sustaining and we were able to pay him. Um, so anyway, I'll keep you in the loop with whatever we put together there. But in the meantime, I just I appreciate all the moral support and prayers and... and um, God bless the United Methodist Church. May they receive a heart of self-reflection and repentance. And uh, God bless the Global Methodist Church. May they not be resting on their laurels. You know, I know they're not. They're putting all this... You know, when we were talking a minute ago about how no one in the UMC thought this many people were interested in leaving, I don't think GMC fully intended, understood how many churches were going to want to join up. Uh, I, I've talked with a number of GMC leaders now that are just overwhelmed by all of this infrastructure. They're building the bridge while they're walking on it. It's so stressful, so be in prayer for them. But pray that they maintain the doctrine and the discipline with which we first set out, lest we become another dead sect. So I'm going to end on that note. Thanks for joining me. God bless you. See you next time.